Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Another winter wallop is upon us tonight. If you're keeping track, this is round three. A new snowfall warning is in effect for much of the south coast, and it's arriving just in time for the evening rush. Jill Bennett is live in Langley for us tonight, where it's already coming down at least a little bit now, Jill. Chris, just in the last half hour, the flakes have started coming down even more. They are large, pretty wet flakes, but they are sticking on some of the side roads. There's a lot of traffic on the busier streets. They're still clear, but it looks like tonight could be a treacherous one on the roads. Once again, city crews are gearing up for another blast of winter. A break in the weather meant the plows and trucks were able to start working on side streets. The focus now is back on the main roads. I think we've hit quite a few of them, um, as many as we can. And like I said, the longer the delay with the snow starting, the more we can get done. And there are new concerns, given the forecast is also calling for rain or freezing rain. Well, instead of having snow that we can easily remove from the road, you have a layer of ice on top of the snow. So we have to try and get rid of the ice first and then get rid of the snow. So like I said, I'm hopeful it just snows, we can get rid of the snow and then deal with any ice issues that come up after the fact. Residents throughout Metro Vancouver have been dealing with scenes like this one for days. Tuesday was a snow day for thousands of students. Surrey, one of the districts that called two snow days, is now preparing for another possible one Friday. We have uh, staff members up early in the morning at different quadrants of the, the school district. It's a large district and they report uh, the conditions where they are because we've seen it many times over where there's uh, a lot of snow in one district and very little in another. Thursday morning, this was the scene in the Fraser Valley. Snow once again blowing across the highway, limiting visibility for drivers. A reminder, it is still very much winter, and that means more winter weather on the way. Now, as for parents who will be wondering about snow days tomorrow, uh, the good news, I suppose, a lot of districts have professional development days, uh, but those that don't, and that includes Surrey, will be out surveying the snow accumulation in the morning. And in Surrey, they say they will let parents know one way or the other if there is a snow day around 6 or 6.30 tomorrow morning. Chris? A lot of that going on across the uh, lower mainland. Thanks very much, Jill. We'll go to uh, Vancouver now. We'll bring in Jordan Armstrong who has more on the conditions there. Jordan, how's traffic moving? Well, Chris, perhaps you can hear the honking behind me. Ten minutes ago, I would have told you it's not that bad, but the snow has definitely picked up in the last few minutes. I'm going to step out of the way, give you a closer look. This is the intersection of... 10th and Alma. It's on the west side of Vancouver. This is a notorious intersection when it comes to transit. Whenever it snows, the buses typically run into problems navigating that hill up towards UBC. On Sunday, we saw as many as 10 trolleys stacked up during that day's snow. We'll see what happens as the evening goes on. But so far, 
not too bad here. If conditions continue to get worse, TransLink says they'll swap out the articulated buses for standard coaches, which handle better in the snow. Their goal, of course, to maintain some level of service, keep the buses running on this major corridor. Just don't expect those buses to be on any sort of schedule. SkyTrain is running at reduced frequency with longer trains. All trains have a TransLink attendant on board. What the attendants are doing is monitoring the tracks to make sure there's nothing on the guideway that could cause injury or damage to the, to the trains. Um, we did turn the track intrusion alarms off. They were causing too many unnecessary breaks. This is a solution to that. So we'll have someone be our eyes in the front of the train looking for anything that could cause a problem. The city of Vancouver says it has a fleet of plows and salt trucks out tonight. One area they're not even going to bother with, though, is the north end of Oak Street. That steep hill remains shut down between Broadway and West 6. It just gets too icy there. So bottom line, the snow, as you can see, is now starting to stick in Vancouver, perhaps a Valentine's Day to stay inside and do the home-cooked dinner. Chris. Not a bad idea, and I happen to know there's a legion not far from you. Maybe a block away, Jordan, if you need a beer yes. after a long day of covering weather. We appreciate it. We might. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jordan. Okay, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on what's expected into this evening and tomorrow as well. Christy. Thanks, Chris. So it really started as a mixed bag from rain to snow to wet snow all across the lower mainland. But as you saw, it's really transitioning to mainly snow. And we will continue to see that through the evening hours. So three to five centimeters possible. But here's the tricky part. Overnight, some areas may see slightly milder conditions move in. So a transition back to wet snow. So flakes falling in the sky, but it not accumulating on the ground. So overnight, we could see anywhere from zero to five centimeters in those areas where it stays a little bit cooler. But then in the morning again, we may see a transition back to mainly snow and we could see another two to four centimeters. And of course, that is right when the schools are trying to decide whether they're going to be open or closed. So it certainly could be another snow day, Chris. Yeah, it's going to be tricky. I don't envy you tonight, no. but I know, you're, I know you're right on top of it and we'll check in a little bit later on too. Thanks, Christy. And a heads up, if you love the Stanley Park seawall, and who doesn't, it's still closed between Siwash Rock and Lionsgate Bridge due to the risk of falling ice. The Vancouver Park Board is monitoring the situation, and they say they'll provide daily updates, but steer clear of that area for now. And now to some breaking news in Kelowna, where there's been a flurry of police activity, a large police presence near the downtown core, Global's Kelly Hayes is outside an apartment building where heavily armed officers moved in late this afternoon. Kelly, describe what's going on there now. Well, what's going on now is, Chris, is the police activity has all but vanished. But earlier on this afternoon, we're on Bernard Avenue. That's a fairly uh, popular street in downtown Kelowna where police converged, some in their SWAT gear, to uh, Gordon Drive, blocking off that intersection and blocking off Danju Street. In between is an apartment building, and that was the focus of the police attention today. We're at the back of the building, according to... The residents who live in the, in the building say that the police broke down the back door to the building and uh, went to the second 
floor unit where the investigation is focusing uh, right now. Uh, police with their guns drawn were showing up here earlier on today and they're still at that unit. All they can tell us right now is that they have one person in custody and that someone's life was at risk. And that's all we know about this and the traffic and the police activity. The traffic is flowing and the police activity is gone. Now we understand that there's a heavy police activity in the Pandozi and Sutherland Avenue area of Kelowna. And we're also informed that there was a heavy police presence on uh, Dallas Drive in Macaulay Place in Kamloops today. All police are saying about that incident is that uh, no one's life is at risk. So a lot of police activity in the southern interior, but the outcome of that police activity still not known. Chris? All right, we'll hope for some more details soon. Kelly Hayes in Kelowna. Thanks very much, Kelly. The suspect in an alleged groping of a young girl on SkyTrain has turned himself in. The alleged incident happened on February 2nd. Transit police say shortly after the seven-year-old and her mother boarded the SkyTrain at Commercial and Broadway, the suspect began making vulgar comments. He then allegedly made several attempts to touch the girl before allegedly grabbing her buttocks. Police say the 57-year-old suspect turned himself in last night. Uh, he is known to police, however, he has no criminal record. He was released with strict conditions. He is uh, not to be found on SkyTrain. He's not to consume alcohol. And he's not to have contact with the victim or the victim's mother. A man is now facing charges in connection with a fatal truck rampage. 35-year-old Travis Paré of Mission is charged with one count of criminal negligence causing death, one count of impaired operation of a motor vehicle causing death, and two counts of failure to stop at the scene of an accident. Just over a year ago, police responded to a single vehicle pedestrian crash near 240th Street and Dudney Trunk Road. Kelly Sandoval and her six-year-old son were struck by the truck. The boy survived, but she died several weeks later from complications. Paré appeared in court today and was released on a recognizance of bail with conditions. RCMP need your help identifying two suspects in a daring ATM theft. The alleged thieves caught on surveillance video early Saturday morning in Langford, entering the store on Happy Valley Road and hauling the ATM out. Similarly, on February 2nd, just after 5 a.m., RCMP received a report from a different convenience store in Langford where an employee reported an unknown male running into the store, placing a tow wire around the ATM and attempting to haul it away using a truck. That attempt failed when the wire snapped and the suspect took off empty-handed. Police are asking anyone with information about either of these two incidents to please come forward. A new report claims the previous Liberal government's handling of B.C. Hydro has left British Columbians with a massive bill. The report indicates the Crown Corporation was pressured to sign contracts for the wrong kind of power at inflated prices. Keith Baldry has more on how much it's going to cost you. BC Hydro bought too much energy, the wrong type of energy, and paid too much for it. It all adds up to a financial bath for BC Hydro ratepayers. A report commissioned by the NDP government concludes the BC Liberal government's controversial policy of purchasing energy from private power producers, usually in the form of small run-of-river projects, has been a financial disaster. The BC Liberals' IPP scheme was a sweetheart deal for some, but it was not a good deal for British Columbians. 
The report shows those energy contract prices are sometimes four times more than market prices, and that way too much private power was purchased, the losses exceeding $16 billion over 20 years. And now we're acting on this review to make BC Hydro work for people. But the BC Liberals' energy critic says it's easy to be critical in hindsight. I would say that would be a gross uh, uh, miscalculation as far as what the direction is. We all know it should be no great surprise to anyone that wind and solar and run of the river is more expensive than some of BC's historic uh, big hydro assets. And a prominent energy lawyer questioned much of the report's accuracy. The Davidson report is a political document. Its basic thesis is that BC Hydro and the BC Liberals conspired to rig BC Hydro's forecast electricity demand so that BC Hydro would be purchasing more electricity than it required from independent power producers. That's simply not true. And as for what's really driving hydro rates upward, David Austin says... It is costing about $1.8 billion a year just to renovate BC Hydro's system. That is the lion's share driver of BC Hydro's rate increases. All right, Keith Baldry joins me now. And Keith, let's talk about the pain in the wallet. People wondering, mm -hmm. how much are rates going up? Yeah, rates are going to go up. It was announced today, BC Hydro, a five-year projection. Uh, the good news is it's not as much as that was on the table just a couple of years ago under the BC Liberals. But here's the numbers we're looking at. Uh, starting next year, 1.8% is the hike. That's about $18 on a $1,000 a year power uh, bill. And then uh, smaller increases until we get to 2024 uh, when it jumps to 3.2%. The cumulative rate of impact over that five years, 8.1%. Again, if you're a $1,000 a year hydro customer, that's $80 over and above what you pay for now. As David Austin points out, it's a very expensive company to maintain and to maintenance. And uh, the rate, again, is going to be higher, but it's not as high as it was projected to be just a couple of years ago. Right now, though, an update on an incredibly resilient little puppy. It's hard to forget Muggsy, originally from Iran, left terribly disfigured when someone threw acid on her face when she was just a few days old. But yesterday, she underwent a successful surgery. And Nadia Stewart has more on Muggsy's road to recovery. Sit down. Back from surgery and Muggsy is her usual feisty self. She's been eager to play, even though she has to take it easy just to keep her blood pressure down so she doesn't hurt herself. What was supposed to have been two extensive surgeries for this resilient rescue dog only ended up being one. Using her ear to bring that down and attach as something of a flap. A successful attempt to fix the large hole in her nasal passage. Once she was shaved down in, um, under anesthesia, they noticed that she had a lot of extra tissue on her lips, and they were able to use that as a way to cover up her nose. So for now, there are no more surgeries needed. No, her owner won't try to do any kind of reconstructive surgery on Muggsy's face. So I don't really want her to become like a pet project for kind of aesthetic looks or anything like she's not gonna win a beauty contest but that's okay i love her smile so <laughs> her disfigured smile the result of an acid attack in iran when she was just six weeks old animal rescue organization stepped in to keep her from being euthanized instead getting her into foster care and on the road to adoption there we go a road leading to bc her new home taylor says she's heard from critics who say mugsy should have been put down and others who use the acid attack as an excuse to discriminate people that are using her story as a way to um, give fuel to their anger towards um, Islamic people. I tried to point out that, yeah, one person over there had done this to her when she was a baby, but dozens of people 
in Iran came together to take care of her. And thousands more have shown their support online and here in her new home for the little dog who could. Good girl. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Hundreds of people marched through Vancouver's downtown east side today in the 28th annual Women's Memorial March. Organizers say despite the national inquiry on missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, the reality on the downtown east side hasn't changed and women are still at a greater risk of violence, injury and death, with indigenous women particularly vulnerable. A new proposal to transform a popular alpine trail in sea to sky country is generating some controversy. The plan includes building a series of modern hiking huts along the way. But Aaron MacArthur explains why the idea is already getting some pushback. The weather can be snarly and the terrain is challenging. But the Howe Sound Crest Trail can also be one of the most beautiful spots in the world. You know, the Instagram generation. A Vancouver architect has taken his passion for the back country and drawn up something that would be extraordinary. And we wondered, would there be a way to expand BC's global reputation uh, as a destination for outdoor enthusiasts? Stéphane Leroy returned home from a trip hiking hut to hut in Switzerland and drew up the idea of a through hike from Cyprus to the Sea to Sky gondola with a series of staffed huts along the way. The huts would have as minimal a footprint as possible and open up huge swaths of terrain to more people. It's absolutely a concept. We're architects. We design buildings. We don't design trails. But for us, having an opportunity to have easy access from Cyprus or easy access from the Squamish Sea to Sky Gondola creates an opportunity for a viable uh, network. There are some obvious concerns with the concept. The House Hound Crest Trail is incomplete and already the site of numerous rescues over the years. BC Mountaineering Club says it's the wrong spot to put a through hike. Well, on a sunny day in summer, you go out there in your running shoes and your t-shirt and everything looks great and you cover lots of ground, but as soon as things turn nasty, then you could run into trouble. The Mountaineering Club says there are other options better suited to this idea, like Pinecone Burke Mountain and what's already happening in the Spearhead Range. But the conversation's been started now. Maybe someone will pick it up and create something amazing. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Officials in Hawaii have released surveillance video of an explosion at a recycling plant. As the arm of an excavator moves near the ground, a giant fireball erupts. Seconds later, a man believed to have been the excavator's operator runs out with his shirt in tatters. The blast was caused by some explosive material that was brought to the recycling yard by a landscaping company. The explosion shattered the excavator's windshield. The operator was burned, but survived. Donald Trump is reportedly about to take a very controversial step to build his border wall, with critics saying it will set a dangerous precedent. The president will sign a new border security deal to keep the U.S. government open, but then he's going to use his emergency powers to get the money Congress won't give him. Tonight, after days of will he or won't he drama, a decision. Mitch McConnell breaking the news. I've just had an opportunity to speak with President Trump, and he, I would say to all my colleagues, has indicated he's prepared to sign the bill. 
He will also be issuing a national emergency declaration at the same time. Lawmakers had waited anxiously for hours. So I'll pray that the president will have wisdom to sign the bill so the government doesn't shut down. The president's move avoids another government shutdown but ignites a constitutional clash by invoking a national emergency using presidential power to bypass Congress to try to get money to build his wall. Democrats making their own declaration, calling it an abuse of power. President's doing an unrun about Congress, about the power of the purse. For weeks, many Republicans had advised the president not to take this path, warning it's a dangerous precedent and constitutionally questionable. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it'd be a terrible idea. I hope he doesn't do it. But McConnell, who's long opposed an emergency declaration, is tonight relenting. I'm going to support the national emergency declaration. The White House framing it as a campaign promise kept with the president's base unconvinced. And Coulter tweeting, national emergency won't help. It's over if he signs this bill. A bill that guarantees the president less money and fewer miles of new barrier than the deal first presented to him last summer. Before months of campaigning and a 35-day shutdown. Now his promised wall could crumble in court. President Trump may think he's doing this for one day's headlines or to please his base. But it's something he's going to live with the rest of his term. More wet weather is threatening lives in California. This helicopter called in to rescue two people trapped on top of their vehicle in the community of Cabazon. In San Francisco, heavy rains opened up a sinkhole that stopped this SUV in its tracks. The storm system has flooded and collapsed roadways, toppled trees and caused landslides in an already waterlogged winter. In health matters tonight, a day after health officials in Vancouver warned of another case of measles, there are renewed calls for the province to make vaccinations mandatory in BC schools. A growing online petition urges changes to the enrollment policy and the mother behind it says it still leaves parents with a choice. Paul Johnson explains. Some winter fun with her kids in Maple Ridge Thursday. Like any young mother, Katie Clun has a special concern for the health of children in her community. But her worries have now pushed her to activism. It's not just affecting those who aren't vaccinated. Do you consent? No! Clun has always been skeptical of the claims of the anti-vaccination movement. But Washington State's ongoing measles outbreak, she feels, validates a stand she's taken a lot of criticism for. Governor Jay Inslee has now declared a state of emergency after the biggest measles outbreak there in decades, which is taking place in a population that has one of the lowest vaccination rates in the U.S. due to the prevalence of anti-vaccination beliefs in the region. There's so much space junk on the internet that you can't make out what's true, what's false, and Fear, I think, is a lot to do with it. Parents lived in fear of polio's sudden attack. Most of us have no memory of diseases like measles, polio, and rubella because of the effectiveness of vaccination programs. You can be in a room two hours after somebody with measles left and still get the disease. After seeing smaller outbreaks in B.C. in recent years, most among religious groups that reject vaccination, Clun launched a petition this weekend calling on the province to act. The petition is calling for mandatory vaccines for enrollment in public school. It's not taking anybody's rights away. If you don't want to vaccinate, that's absolutely fine, but you're going to need to homeschool. 
Already, Klan and her husband have been hit with an angry barrage from online trolls, one who told her husband he should go kill himself. All of it, they say, highlights the need for people to get educated and for the government to act. Paul Johnson, Global News. One other health note, as the snow begins to fall, some tips on safe shoveling from a prominent B.C. doctor. Emergency rooms are often busy during and after snowfalls, treating everything from minor injuries like back strain, which should not lead you to the emergency room, but also heart attacks caused by shoveling. Doctors say we should treat snow shoveling like a gym workout because that's essentially what it is. Most people don't consider uh, shoveling snow as exercise. But in fact, what we know is if you're not exercising and you start to suddenly exercise, your chance of having a heart attack is 150 times higher than those people who may be regularly exercising. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The weather turns cold and the snow flies we often make sure our pets are protected from it but there are many other urban critters that could use our help too one example is birds and linda aylesworth reports on how maintaining bird feeders properly can literally make the difference between life and death Hummingbirds may be tiny, weighing only as much as a quarter, but they're tough. They are feisty little guys. They will fight you to the end for territory. Um, you'll see there's a little guy here actually behind us who's guarding two feeders. Talk about a Napoleon complex. The Annis hummingbird is a year-round resident in BC, which means when winter comes, they have to humble themselves. They don't have any food sources. There's not really any insects for them to eat. There's no flowers. There's no nectar. And so we, they do actually depend on the hummingbird feeders. It's a joy watching them buzz around, feeding on nectar. But if you don't do it right, you can cause more harm than good. What ends up happening is that if we leave them out and we don't ever clean them, they'll grow bacteria, they'll grow fungus. These animals ingest it and they'll die. Oh, he's not looking so hot right now, so we got to get him warm. 50% of the wing patients that come to the Wildlife Rescue Association this time of year are casualties of dirty feeders, and hummingbirds aren't the only victims. We have a little purple finch here who has two diseases from a bird feeder. He has what is called conjunctivitis. He also has scaly mite disease. While hummingbirds rely on feeders to survive the winter, other birds do not. But feeding them can be helpful if. So you ought to make sure you clean those feeders at least once a week with a 10% bleach solution, let it dry fully, and then put it back out. The same is true for hummingbird feeders with one additional chore. Make sure it doesn't freeze. Anything you can do, put a little warmer on there, alternate your feeders, make sure you're attending them regularly. Because hummingbirds have to eat every 15 minutes, going without could be deadly. When they don't have enough food, they get hypoglycemic and they're a really easy catch for cats. If you find a bird in distress or need advice, contact the Wildlife Rescue Association. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A rare sight in Hawaii of all places where snow has fallen at the lowest elevation ever on the mountains of Maui. Meteorologists say cold air from Canada 
has led to what's called a Kona low, causing snow to fall at lower elevations than usual. Hawaii does get snow, but usually only on the mountaintops. A construction crew finds an accidental time capsule from the 1950s. What was inside right after the forecast? And let's get to Christy as quick as we can here because the situation is very variable yes. and changing a lot across the region. That's right. The change right now that's occurring is to snow, Chris. It's widespread across the lower mainland. It's starting to stick on the side streets, certainly not as much on the main streets, but, but you can see how big the flakes are. Here's a look at some of your images. This one from Ladner. Thanks to Steve for that one. You can see it really accumulating. This one from Surrey. And this is going to be a wet snow event because we're so close to that freezing mark, which means great snowball making and great snowman making. So the kids will Hopefully we'll be able to get out tomorrow and be able to make some uh, uh, snowmen. Now, this is how much we're forecasting by the morning hours tomorrow. Keep in mind, because this snow event is going to be so mild, meaning so wet, uh, we may not see accumulations quite this high. It tends to compact a little bit more when we have a lot of moisture. But this is the potential out there by the morning hours. And even into the afternoon, we could see more snow in some areas. So here's how things transpire this evening, mainly snow. Overnight, things may become a little bit milder in some areas, certainly areas near the water, and you would see a transition back to wet snow, which means no more accumulations. It's areas that are colder that may see up to five centimeters of snow, quite variable across the region. But then a pulse of colder air uh, tomorrow morning may return conditions back to snow, similar to what we're seeing right now. And then we could see another two to four centimeters across the lower mainland. And then in the afternoon, again, a warm-up. Metro Vancouver returning to rain or wet snow, no more accumulation, but it will be the Fraser Valley we're concerned about. Snow and a risk of freezing rain with more accumulations expected. So we are concerned about that freezing rain, especially in areas like Abbotsford, where we could see uh, black ice in some areas because of that freezing rain. Quick tip, take your foot off the brake if you do run into a slippery section and do not try and put on your brakes on. You take your foot off the brake and let it just slow down. Okay, there's your forecast for tomorrow. We are expecting a few flurries across the north, across the south, light snow. Two to four centimeters expected and snow transitioning to rain likely for most areas in the south coast. And then still a few flurries or showers on Saturday. The cold air entrenched and remains in place. Sunday, a lot more sun though that will be nice and I'll leave you with some great shots from Coquitlam Lori did not build these but she saw it in her neighborhood and snapped some photos incredible sculptures of wow. a tiger that is very cool and more yes more snow tiger building tomorrow is what it Sick sounds Frieden like Roy there? <laughs> Siegfried and Roy <laughs> maybe all right a construction crew in Jefferson Indiana found a purse that was missing for more than 65 years the small black handbag was found in part of the old Jefferson High building during renovations. Inside was an ID for a woman named Martha Ina Ingham. There was also a high school basketball schedule from 1954, a lipstick, and a letter asking her to the prom. The letter reads, I've heard that Paul has asked you to go to the prom with him. If he hasn't, I would like very much to take you. The school tracked down Martha through social media, and the purse has been mailed to her in Florida. Now, the Internet would love to know who actually took her to the prom, but uh, right now that is still unclear. Apparently it was in a cupboard in an old part of the school. How cool is that? Fascinating. Mm -hmm. All right, that poor guy was standing around on prom night. <laughs> 
waiting Never forever. got an answer. <laughs> maybe, Too bad. Maybe she phoned him just the other day. <laughs> All right, I'll go, I'll go. All right, Squires here with sports, and you might be wondering, when are we going to retire the over-the-shoulder Canucks injuries report graphic that we're Never. about to use? Never. Never? Because it still works. Man. Yeah, it does. Check it out. Wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Oh, wait, we've got to do Capital Direct. There you go, because that's what we're talking about. Uh, when Alex Edler got hurt, we said, he's just somebody who is not able to skate away from the injury bug. And you know what? We could say the exact same thing for Chris Tanev, who... Has never played, I don't think, a full 82-game season. He didn't even play a full 48-game season when they had the lockout shortened year 2012-2013. Um, last night he got hurt again. Checked into the boards by Ryan Getzlaff, who was really the Canucks' natural predator last night because he also hurt Jake Vertanen, running into him in the first period. And neither Tanev or Vertanen will play against the Kings this evening. Vertanen will show you first. Now, he had just knocked down Corey Perry. Getzlaff's old buddy. So this was accidentally on purpose. That was a penalty. But uh, Vertanen did come back and play, but he didn't seem right. And he has an upper body injury. This is Tanev here getting hit by Getzlaff in the third. Doesn't look bad, but something happened to his ankle. Hopefully not a high sprain, but he was sent back to Vancouver, and he's on injured reserve now. Okay, Winnipeg Jets at home to the Avalanche, who have just been a stumbling mess of late. Mainly because their goaltending hasn't been very good, but they do get a goal here by Gabriel Landeskog. The captain goes back. Hellebuck, two nothing at that point for Colorado. Shortly after this goal, though, the healthy Tanev, Brandon, Chris's brother, scores. That made it two-one. Now the uh, Avalanche have a proficiency for losing leads, so we'll see how they do after two, leading by two. But this was the third goal. It was JT Converse shorthanded. That made it 3-1. If there's ever an emergency, and for some reason you can't dial 911, you can always call the Vancouver Warriors lacrosse team because on their roster and coaching staff are a battalion of first responders. They're repping the Vancouver Police Department, the Vancouver Fire Department, even the Edmonton Fire Department. Their biggest contingent of all, though, comes from the Burnaby Fire Department. There is nothing better than loving your job, and for about a half dozen members of the Vancouver Warriors, they love both of their jobs. Full-time firefighters who also moonlight as professional lacrosse players. Uh, it's, it's exactly like the locker room, and uh, it's the reason I love this job, and every day I come to work, and it's not really a job. When you're here at uh, the hall, it's, it's like you're in the locker room all the time, talking to, talking to your best friends and your buddies all the time, same with on the team, right? You're always chatting with them, chatting with your best friends, and uh, yeah, just always having a good time. That dynamic makes coming to work a lot of fun, but it doesn't mean they don't take each job very seriously. Firefighters literally face life and death situations. Having that team concept makes all the difference. You know, we're all practicing, training to to then go out in you know game-like situation where you're going out and you're on a call, you're at a fire at an MVA, we all have to work together and kind of accomplish your tasks, you know, in a timely manner, in a, in a team atmosphere. So I think a lot of the skills are definitely relatable. 
Matt Beers is the Warriors' captain, even though he's always had strong leadership skills, just being around the fire department has given him another perspective. We train a lot of our own firefighters, so seeing how they, you know, approach teaching a subject to the, you know, their peers, um, obviously there's a lot of guys here I look up to and, and, you know, I'm able to apply those skills to being a good, good leader on the team, which uh, I definitely consider this a, a huge bonus. Juggling two physically demanding jobs is a challenge. The local fire departments are very receptive to allowing the players to adjust their schedules so they can practice and play with the Warriors, but it can all be downright exhausting. You know, train properly, trying to watch video, right? You're always you're trying to find that balance in life and just you sort of figure out some days you are completely exhausted and you're just tired. And when you get home, you hit the couch and it's just out. But, uh, it's just all about finding balance in life, that's about it. The Warriors are hoping for a strong finish to make the playoffs and make a run at a championship. However it all works out, these guys have that bond that goes beyond wins and losses. No, I would pick those guys you know, in the back alley for a fight any day. If it came down to it, I know they have my back and, and they would know I have theirs. And Those are the kind of guys that we have here at the fire hall and those are the kind of guys that I think we picked for the team, You know, just guys with big hearts. Speaking of big, Joel Embiid is about seven feet tall. Whoa! Ooh. Into the crowd last night and lands right on the statistician for the Knicks. Both feet in the chest and groinal area. And he's okay. But look who almost got picked off by Embiid. It was Oscar-nominated actress Regina King. Her bun got hit. Oh, right Ooh. there. It stayed in place. Embiid basically said, I saved her life. It's good hops for a big man. Here's your snow report for this evening. Arctic air is still entrenched right across the province, although it's not as drastically cold in the interior as it was. Now, Whistler Blackcomb still minus 10, though, at the top, but no new snow in the last 24 hours. However, Revelstoke did pick up one centimeter new snow and Manning Park three. In the interior, Big White, two centimeters fresh. Same for Silver Star, and thankfully, temperatures aren't nearly as cold as what they have been, so minus teens only. Kicking horse, though, cold at minus 18, with one centimeter fresh snow. Coming up on ET Canada, we're with all the house guests of Celebrity Big Brother, including the season two winner, Tamar Braxton, plus the Victoria's Secrets Angels swoop in to heat up your Valentine's Day. You're welcome. That's all coming up at seven right after the news hour. For now, it's back to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Well, we heard about this story a little while ago, but we're getting more details now. The Colorado man who survived a mountain lion attack is telling his remarkable story of survival. Travis Kaufman explains how he fought for his life when he realized that was his only option. And a warning, some of the pictures are pretty graphic. Travis Kaufman was running along a nature trail north of Denver when he came face to face with a mountain lion. I turned around and uh, just was pretty bummed out to see a mountain lion chasing after me. The 31-year-old says the young mountain lion lunged at him and began to attack. It grabbed onto my hand and wrist, and uh, from there it started to claw at my face and neck. That's when Kaufman says his fight-or-flight responses kicked in. He was able to pin the cougar down and use a rock as a weapon. It was pretty heavy and it's kind of hard to wield, and I... Uh, try to give it a few bashes in the, the back of the head. When that didn't work, the avid outdoorsman says he was left with no choice but to strangle the cougar to death. And I 
was able to kind of shift my weight and get a foot on its neck. And at that point, I stepped on it, on its neck with my, my right foot. Another couple of minutes later, it finally, finally stopped moving. Kaufman managed to get to safety and then to the hospital with the help of strangers. With cuts and bruises to his face and body, he had to get more than a dozen stitches. I feel really fortunate that the situation turned out the way that it did. Um, and I really feel like I made all the right decisions. After the attack, officials with Colorado Parks and Wildlife say they captured two other young mountain lions in the area. Chris Martinez, CBS News, Los Angeles. Lucky guy. Mm-hmm. No snow on those Colorado hills there, but there will be some around here. It looks like the snow's moving in. That's right. Coming down hard right now. There's our shop from Vancouver Tower Cam. The flakes are really big, and one of the reasons for that is the amount of moisture in there. In there. But when it accumulates on the ground, it doesn't actually accumulate to be as much because of the moisture content. Victoria Tower Cam, and you can see it looks wet mm-hmm. on the ground there other than on the grass, but on the, on the roads there. So that's a good good indication that not as much is accumulating, whereas, oh, isn't that gorgeous in Victoria? Uh, pardon me, in Kelowna, um, not, uh, not any snow falling there, but you're expecting light snow through the day tomorrow. And variable, so it could be mixed bag overnight and into tomorrow. Maybe school closures, maybe not, but you got to yeah. keep it right here to get the latest details for sure. Right, because we're going to continue to see the snow come and go overnight. It's how much uh, snow will actually accumulate, causing problems on the roads, and that has to do with that water content and the temperature at the time. But there's a good chance that we may see another wave, even if the snow eases off overnight, we may see another wave in the morning, and that would be the concern for the kids. Winter sucks. Happy Valentine's Day, and also happy birthday to our control room tech, Jeff. Great day for a birthday. Thanks for all your help, Jeff.